My name is Rachel White, and people call me the Skeptical Showman. They say it like it's a contradiction, but it's not. For more than a decade, I've been researching and building tools for the spiritually homeless. You know, the curious but critical thinking people that, like me, have had a tough time navigating a landscape of gurus and grifters and crystal hippie people. Searching for a way to fill what Neil Gaiman called that God-shaped hole. All while, of course, not getting taken. As the host of the Skeptical Shaman podcast, I want to help us all develop a map of this confusing terrain. I'm going to talk to everybody. The curious, the skeptical, the cynical, and yes, even the true believers. Together we can safely explore the world of Wu and get closer to some meaningful existential truths. This is The Skeptical Shaman. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Skeptical Shaman. I am your perennially cheerful, positive and optimistic host, Rachel White of Totem Readings. And I have, as always, a very special guest today, but in particular, a very, very special guest. So if you've worked with me at all, you've been a coaching client, you know that there is an archetypal spirit that lingers and moves in and out of Totem named my good friend Roger. And he is not only my dear, dear friend, collaborator, co-conspirator in terms of the rebellion against the evil empire, he's also the producer of this podcast. He edits everything, which we were just laughing our asses about because no matter what we say, he sort of gets the final say. And I never really thought of it that way, which is funny. Um, So Roger Oni, welcome. And why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, Rachel. Yeah. Um, the, the, the word that struck me today before this interview, when it comes to introducing myself, is the word escapee. I've, I've never really used that word before in this context, but I think that's it. I, you know, I, I've, my, my practice is called High Mesa Mystic. So I've kind of settled on the word mystic. But to me, right, if you're working with the mysteries, you've escaped like thought prisons. And I think that's what a lot of my work boils down to is working with other people to help them escape whatever their version of a thought prison might be in their life. So. And when you're doing that work that you've done for yourself, we'll certainly get into that. But working with clients as a mystic, how do you do that? Like, what are the methodologies that you use? Is it psychic work? Is it energy work? Is it pure coaching? Like, why don't you explain a little bit the myriad ways that you help people become escapees. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of influences. You know, I've been trained in a lot of different things. And really, what it comes down to is meeting with people and understanding what their paradigm is, you know, what they, like how they operate in the world and what kind of what their beliefs and what their values are and kind of meeting them there. So, you know, in a lot of people would just, you, you could look at it like it's energy work in general. Energy is transmitted in a lot of different ways. Uh, our voice transmits energy. Um, I'm a very heart-centered person, so there's a lot of work that I'm doing from the heart center. And then I also do like kind of traditional coaching work with people. You know, yeah. in, that, in those cases, right, is when they have a goal and they want to achieve that goal, breaking it down. And but it's the the energy work and the spiritual work is what influences all of it. And I know a little bit about your story, your background, how you got into this particular vein of mysticism, only because I was lucky enough to come to your healing center and hear you share that story out loud for the first time ever with a very small group. It was a meditation workshop. I'm sure you remember it. And it struck me. And I, a lot of people have that shaman thing, right? Like, how'd you get into this work? Oh, I was broken. I'd heal myself. The wounded healer thing. Mm-hmm. Yours has a certain poetry to it. And by <laughs> poetry, I don't mean it's a romantic comedy, right? Because what good poetry is happy all the time. Those are called ad jingles. That's yeah. not poetry. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit about how you got into all of this, because like me, you were in corporate and you didn't mind it. Right. People think like, you know, if you do this or you transition to this, you must have sucked or failed or <laughs> been a bad fit in corporate. And it's quite the opposite. And you were at a big four consulting firm. I was at, you know, a big four consulting firm once upon a time. And I just love how your, you know, the paradigm's a great word that you've already yeah. mentioned, how your paradigm kind of got shattered and oh, it yeah. led you to this, if you don't mind. And I, lo- I love this story. Well, I, I, this is not a story of practice, so I don't really know quite how to tell it. Um, but 
as a bit of a backdrop, what I find fascinating is, I think it was around 2005, uh, you know, around that time in my life, I was married. I, you know, I have two kids. Um, we had just bought a big house, which in my life was a big deal. And I grew up, uh, you know, one of the things I've escaped is cycles of poverty. You know, I grew up in a lot of poverty. We moved around all the time. So, you know, this, I was in a place in my life where I thought, you know, like I've kind of figured some things out and I thought, you know, how, how can I help others? Um, and so I put that ask out, you know, like I, I would have, yeah, exactly. Right? That's exactly <laughs> it. I put this ask out, like, how can I, how can I help others? And I kid you not, you know, I'm not saying that caused this, but, uh, you know, my life, uh, really, you know, it was really remarkable, the series of events that occurred. My father, um, you know, my parents were 60 at, around the age of 60 at the time. So my father had developed lung cancer and was dying. Uh, thank, I'll say this thankfully. I mean, it was kind of a slow process. So I was able to go and visit him. I lived in Chicago at the time. I, I grew up in Ohio. So I was traveling back and forth, trying to keep the job going, trying to be a good dad, trying to keep everybody happy, which was, you know, kind of the paradigm I was in, right? I'm, I'm here for everybody else. And uh, so, yeah, he was, he was passing away. I... It, it, that had a huge impact on me all on its own. Just, it was a very, I, I, I was not in a spiritual place at all at that time in my life. I turned all of this off, anything from childhood that was connected, I had blocked it. But being with somebody as they're transitioning, especially if, if it's a, this kind of a process where he was seeing to the other side, talking to the other side, he also didn't ever talk about any beliefs or at one point when I knew he was dying, I'd, I'd asked him if I, you know, if I, could you know schedule time for him to talk to a priest or somebody you know like I didn't know how to help him at all and uh he just said nah he's like why why would I do that and uh so he was somehow I don't know it's just kind of remarkable to think back because everything was happening it was so difficult I didn't have a lot of time to process that Um, so yeah 2006 he passed around the Easter I think it was like Good Friday or around that time and so shortly thereafter, uh, one of my sisters had a baby who had passed away, and I just felt like I couldn't even process that. The baby was born alive and, and had passed. Then a little more into the summer, you know, the somewhere around this time, speaking of corporate work, I had been at this job for a long time. It felt close to my team, and they they had come in. To, and this was all like a Chicago-born and raised crew of people. And the company came in and said, everybody has to move to Tampa, Florida. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what does that mean? Right. So it was just all fronts, like all those foundational pieces of, of my life. Uh, my best friend's father, who was kind of like my second father, he passed away uh, unexpectedly in September, right around my birthday. So there are also these, these major kind of seasons and milestones in life. And when I went to see, when I went to his funeral and, you know, when, when they were lowering him into the ground, you know, afterwards, it's like the, it was a weird scene, like out of a movie, because as the casket lowered, I, when I looked over, I didn't even realize my father's tombstone was on the other side. It's like a Chris Nolan movie. It was, it was insane, you know? Like there was a cinema, a spiritual cinematographer there for you. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'll tell you the thing I got really tired of hearing at that time in my life were people, you know, with with good intentions who would come along and they're like, oh, two things. They would either say, you know, well, it can't get any worse. And I'm like, please don't utter those words. Or they would say, God's preparing you for something great. And I'm like, I really don't want to hear that either right now, you know? Yeah. So that was September. Uh, October was uh, my 10-year wedding anniversary. And about three days after, uh, my then-wife came home and announced that she wanted a divorce. And I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't understand what was happening at that time. So that, you know, that's like, a you know, that was the whole, like, October craziness. And so I'm still trying to keep it all together, right? And then my mother... Uh, found the sheet. I got a phone call at my mother had tumors in her lungs. She was also 60. And that was around Thanksgiving. And then unlike my father, uh, my mother passed very quickly. So she passed right before Christmas. So that was 2006 as the backdrop. Uh, it was a trip to Disneyland. It was insane, you know. And I, I remember a specific dream I'd had during that year in which the moon, like, like a full moon itself, like a, it was in the sky, full, glowing, and it started to like explode and crumble and fall to the ground in pieces, which at the time some people were saying, "Oh, that's the 
all this female energy leaving your life, your mother, your wife, all that kind of thing. But who knows, right? Uh, fast forward 2007, you know, I started to hear about the secret stuff and I was going to some groups and trying to understand things and open my mind a little bit about just how to navigate through this time. And it was at a group in particular. It was a good group discussion. There was a guy there who had mentioned uh, energy work and I didn't really know a lot about it. And he, but what was fascinating to me, it was every time he talked about it, my, I felt tingling in my brain and I couldn't explain it. And I would go home and I would be like, what was that tingling? And I would try to make it happen. I would like, I'm just, there's something in, in my mind where I'm this tingling is happening. So let me experiment. And I kept trying to make it happen. I couldn't make it happen. I go back to the meeting. He would talk about this healer he worked with and the work that happened. And my entire brain would start tingling and it's kind of tingling now. So it's almost like a game of psychic. You're getting warmer. Totally. Yeah. And now what I understand, right, is we all have our own methods of communication and our own sensations. And it is a way that I know when I'm really connected to, you know, my guides or the ones that I work with. But I had no idea what it was at the time. It's just this physical sensation that was unmistakable and I couldn't recreate it. And I just didn't, you know, I knew there was something there, but I didn't know what. Um, so really, I mean, I, I can't, it's hard to describe like how dark of a time it was and how much I was trying to keep things together. I, th- I think also a really significant event that maybe preceded this, that did precede it was, a, a what I now really feel was pretty much like a near death experience. I didn't, and it was, I, you know, I was in bed and I was trying to hold it all together and make sense out of everything and trying to sleep. And it was way too much. And I, my heart was pounding at that particular moment uh, I was exhausted and I ended up just basically in a void. I was uh, like floating in, in a very dark, very, very dark space, but I had no emotional interpretation of it. It was just where I was. And I've heard some people in near death experiences describe things that are similar. I got nowhere near any like tunnel of light or anything like that but I was floating in the void and, and it was calm and very peaceful and something, it, something like grabbed me. It just felt like something grabbed me and threw me back into my body. And then from that moment forward, I was just kind of on fire. I just knew, I knew that there was something different. I knew that everything could change. I had no idea how I was completely lost. And the only thing that really mattered at the time consciously was just taking care of my kids and my family and trying to be the best father I could be. So yeah, with all that, uh, yeah, I ended up hearing this guy talk about energy work. I ended up doing a session with that woman who the backdrop to that was, he said, well, I don't know, like she's retired. You know, when I asked her, I asked this, this author, I'm like, well, tell me about this healer. I mean, this sounds like you had an amazing experience. He's like, well, she's retired. I don't know. You know, and I kept asking, he said, well, I can email her and see if she'll she'll work with you and he she did she offered to do she ended up doing three sessions with me i believe and again you know this i I remember asking a question of the universe like how could somebody with this ability like ever retire you know like i was like oh i'll answer that question and we've talked about this it's it's uh it's not a thankless profession but for the um the dings you get in that sort of spiritual energetic combat and working with people in particular, I now fully understand the constant urge to po- poke the uh, eject button, if you will. Yeah. And I'm yeah. a slow learner, right? So I feel like I've had like a long, many years of, of getting a very long, slow answer to that question as well. Uh, but yeah, I did the sessions. I knew something was shifting in me. I didn't understand what or how. And, and uh, that really kind of planted the seed, you know? So but yeah, it was a really dark time, really dark place. It was a lot of work. I, I remember getting a message back then that it was, they said it'll be five, five, and five. It'll be five years of, of literally surviving what you've, what, you, you know, it's not so much the events, but it was what it revealed, you know, about me, mm-hmm. about myself, about what I'd been, how I'd been comporting myself or belie- what I'd been believing about that life and myself for so many years. So they said it would be five years, five years of just surviving that five years of thriving and then five plus years, you know, five and beyond of kind of transcending a lot of the, the limitations or a lot of the beliefs that you've had your whole life. 
And at the, when I received that message, part of it was like, oh God, there's an end. So, you know, thank you for that. But then yeah. to be told you have five years ahead of you where you just have to survive was not a pleasant thought, but at least it was something. So, And, you know, just today, I can't even believe I'm saying this, the self-loathing I feel is yeah. like the, the rise of it, as I'm about to tell you, I saw a meme on Instagram <laughs> that inspired me. It's very palpable. But it was something to the effect of here. I, I'm going to be that basic bitch and, you know, drink my caramel macchiato and read it to you because it, it's really hit me. Mm-hmm. We seldom admit the seductive comfort of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. It gives us ambiguity. And you talking about those five years, I don't think people understand how hard it is to have hope. Like, I think people think hopelessness would be hard but it's actually kind of easy compared to having hope and waiting for the next five and then the five of transcending after that and this has been a theme a lot lately for me but also talking to people and you'll discover that yesterday's interviews since you are forced by the federal government to listen to all of my conversations (laughs) it's a it's a form of waterboarding but the idea of exodus and Moses, right? And he, they had to have hope that they were going to make it to their homeland and they were going to get back home to a place they, they personally had never seen and yeah. no generation near them remembered. And the suck of that. If they had mm-hmm. just said, well, screw it, we're just all going to go our separate ways and we don't have hope and everything's nihilism, right? Yeah. That death cult thing. It would have cleaned it up a bit for them, I think. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's a lot to that. I, I uh, One of the things I, I work with clients on or try to teach is this concept of like a, there's an upward spiral and a downward spiral. And when you're at the bottom of the downward spiral, like it's A, it's pulling you down harder. Uh, and B, you get, you get acclimated to it. You know, you and I have joked about sometimes how the personalities of our, of our, well, I'll call them spirit guides for lack of a better word right now. We could talk more about who and what these are, but I was on a run and I was, you know, processing all the stuff and really trying to do all this work. And it was like this, this voice came in, what I was really doing on the run was I was like angry and I was upset and I was beating the same drum I'd been beating for a long time. This is probably smack dab in the middle of that five years of surviving. And this, yeah. So I was, you know, I was just like, ah, this and that, and you know, victim and woe is me and blah, blah, blah. And this voice came in and it said, you keep licking those wounds. You're going to start to like the taste of them. Yeah. And I was like, oh stung you know like so yeah i think we get we get comfortable with our wounds and we get comfortable with our trauma and And not just as individuals as a whole species absolutely as a species and and this is part of the thought prison thing like you get to you get you're in it's this learned helplessness you're in your thought prison you know your thought prison well um you get three squares a day or whatever right and you're like okay like this is my life this is my faith and uh it is what it is. But I mean, deep down, what what is at work a lot of the time is a deeper fear of what's outside of it. Especially if you've been traumatized and abused, you have you're terrified of taking a chance because this may suck, but outside of those walls, it's gonna suck even harder, is what people start to believe. Yes. And you know, I uh don't have a lot of emotional vacillations relative to other people. <laughs> Neurodivergent. Um, but this snuck up on me in a very unexpected way. And that's how these things tend to get me. Cause you know, I have that Bukowski, I'm going to choke out my bluebirds thing. Like I know all the obvious points of origin, egress, ingress for the big feels or the dashed hopes. Right. I manage that fairly psychotically, but I've been watching succession. I know this is up there with the Instagram thing. And I don't like get into television shows that aren't basically science fiction masterpieces like Westworld. I was like, yeah. this is going to church, true detective season one, things like, so it's, it's not all television. And I didn't realize how much hope crept in for this fictional character. Who's not mm-hmm. perfect at all, but you know, oldest child of very narcissistic, abusive parents, unable to manage relationships with his siblings. And he really, really, really wants to be CEO. And if you go back and watch the early episodes, like he would have been really good at it. Like mm-hmm. he's not a perfect person, but he would have been good at it. And I'm not going to give any spoilers for those of you watching Succession, but it was a dick punch to my soul. 
And I almost went back to therapy. And it was it. And the reason is that that hope thing. And so my immediate reaction after that was scanning for other hopeful areas like we must extinguish them before they get too far off the ground. Unfortunately, we have a very important presidential election coming up. And I just I can't help how badly I want a certain outcome. And I'm not political. This is really a deeply spiritual issue for me. Um, and I know people don't think those things can coexist. They're almost antithetical to one another. But I do think we need spiritual leadership in our world. And I think the God-shaped hole not getting filled with spirit, getting filled with other things like identity or arguing with people online or whatever is terrible for all of us, especially spiritually. So I'm, I'm managing hope now. Yeah, there's a lot there. I mean, there, there's a there's the thought, right, that we're in this time of great transition. And part of that transition, part of the opportunity in the transition could be to have more balance, you know, between the material and the spiritual worlds and those of us that do that work. It's funny, I was talking to someone yesterday, my client and friend Leanne, and we recorded an episode about her book series called The Goddessy. And she was she was addressing that exact point that you just said of this time of great transition. And, you know, she's very hopeful for it. Um, But she did say, like, it was funny. She goes, we're a species, like, we're an addict as a super organism. And we just keep doing the same things and it's not working. And she goes, I think we've gotten to the point where we go, it's not working. Like that, that rock bottom before you go to rehab or you go to therapy or you face something. Like, she really feels we're there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. There's, there's like an addict, like a trauma victim, right? You just, you get, a, you get addicted to it. You, you recreate it over and over again. And the other, the, for me, with all of this, like when I did start doing the spiritual work, and I worked with like a specific teacher for a couple of years, and started working with a lot of other people. Um, one of the things that hit me right away, early on, and I know this is not like a new thought or like you know, it's, it's just when it hits you in your own moment, it can, it can be significant. And it was that experience of realizing that our innate abilities to create everything that we are as a as a spiritual being to imagine to create to our, our even our ability to to have belief or hope all of these things are hijacked and, and co opted in great to a great degree by others who know how to use that to meet their ends. Yeah, and this was not some this was not a thought that i had while trying to solve any problem right i was on i was driving to uh to training there with dr j and uh so it was really it was really something because i feel like the the reason for that message or that insight was to begin to reclaim uh, my own innate ability to create and to envision and to hope and believe and st- to start to tap into and ask the question what what are we capable of as individuals as a species. Um, and so, yeah, there are a lot of people that never think about those things, don't care about those things, don't want to think about them, just like the nature of our world. Like, you know, the news is always going to amplify that, the darker, the negative side of things. But what, you know, what's possible? And I think that, you know, to what you're speaking to, right, in terms of some of the stuff going on politically or just in a lot of different areas of our life right now, the same with the medical stuff that, you there's a, there, there are more and more things emerging, coming out in the open. There are more people that are more open also to hearing, learning um, what we're capable of in a positive light. And that's all happening, that sort of great awakening right as AI emerges from its box, right? Yep. And, you know, Chris Nolan would say night is always darkest before the dawn, but it, it's... I don't know that a lot of people understand what they're up against. You and I have been in conference rooms where people say the quiet part out loud. I don't think they know what kind of demons sit in those conference rooms. Like they're humans, but they're ghouls for all intents and purposes. And, you know, just I'll never forget one of my last meetings. This woman in a very large conference call, like not she and I privately said, I just want to make sure we're taking advantage of this crisis. And it was April of 2020. And we knew millions of human beings were going to die. Businesses were going to be shuttered. Like it it was wild that that's where a human being's brain could go. So it's 
in a Dickensian way, I think, going to be the best of times and the worst of times um, for a while here. So what would your recommendation be to people who want to escape who, or, and I've also heard you refer to this idea of if everybody gets plugged in and everyone's in the matrix and all this stuff, what's the human remnant? Yeah. Like, and how do we help those people that are pro-human species, if you will? Yeah, I, I, I do not have answers. I am deeply exploring this. I mean, this is everything that I'm working on is, you know, and part of this, I'll, I'll just mention, right, I've, I've become involved with this group, this exoconscious coaching group, and I'm in a, we're talking about how to expand that and, you know, take that out in different forms. And it's very, very not like any, it's not cult. It's not, it's, we, we talk about the cults, AI, and just how to, you know, how to ensure that, you know, it's never along those lines. The, the thing, the first question you asked, right, about how to help people out of the thought prisons, the problem is nobody is going to wake up and do a Google search for how to get out of my thought prison. Right. Google's part of the prison. <laughs> exactly. Well, every, I mean, it's, I, I, so I'm saying, you know, I'm an escapee and I'm like, well, that's a bold statement, right? Because I'm still here. Like what, you know, so how do you live free? How can you live free in this place? And so it's like, I, I, I made a list, right? There are things I have escaped from, but it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing journey. And so I think the, the key is really just for people that want change and to work with those individuals to help them begin to see the layers, the layers of the onion, so to speak, right? Like, because what gets in the way are just, you know, in the classic coaching language, right? We're talking about limiting beliefs, but what are those limiting, where do those limiting beliefs come from? What are they tied to? And what's below that limiting belief? And it's really that there, there's so many things that are just set up as like false dichotomies and false paradigms. And we're, what I, one of my core values is just freedom. So all I care about is working with people to help them understand that they always have a choice. I mean, this all boils down to free will, which is willpower, right? Which is your, like who and what you choose to be in this lifetime. And, you know, I'm very well aware that a whole lot of people don't think they're choosing anything or there are people who will like, oh, I don't have, a, like they'll associate the word belief system with faith or with religion. And they'll think I don't have beliefs, right? They're just, you know, it's all science. Well, scientism is its belief is a belief system and materialism is a belief system. And it's, you know, it, until we can start to have those conversations. And I, I just wrote a piece about AI on the same in the same context of, you know, there are some conversations you'll be in where people are just like AI bad, you know, AI bad. Well, you know, a, what does the AI even mean? Like when we're talking about AI, different people have different ideas and, you know. And it's neutral, just like money it, and well, just, everything yeah, else. Exactly. So the dangers in that argument, right, is you start to, you give, you're giving AI more power than it even has because you're, it's given it attributes that it doesn't possess. Infinitely more terrified of the humans using it. Well, exactly. And that's the conversation that needs to happen, right? Or what? Are, and the reason people don't want to have that conversation is because we're all involved. We're all part of it. Uh, so there's the AI bad crew. There's the AI good crew, right? Like I saw some headline today of like AI is going to add four bazillion dollars to the economy, right? They're like AI is going to solve all our problems. For whom? Well, and the, I mean, the bigger thing is like, might it solve some problems? Sure. But like, how about we sit back as a, as a species and talk about what the real problems are to begin with and what are the right ways to solve them? Because we're, you know, regardless of which way you look, like there are, there are so many more effective things we could be doing every day to be helping people if that's what we really cared about. And what's so, interesting is you just touched on something, which is the sitting back as a species and, and almost taking a bit of a, an assessment. Right. objective, looking at the bigger picture. And we the rate of change right now is wild. And it's it's been accelerating for the last 10 years. I used to write about it when I was in innovation mm-hmm. as a means of selling innovation internally and externally to like enterprise clients. Like, listen, innovation isn't a nice to have anymore. You have to set up a system because this is going to be what's an innovation today is going to be standard procedure tomorrow. Like it's a blink of an eye. But now it's so quick that even our very neuroplastic brains are struggling. And cults do this to cult members where the target's always moving and, oh, no, now you're working on this assignment. Now we have to get this done. We have to get it done right away. And over here and 
And now this is the issue that we're all focused on. And it's a constant shifting ground under your feet. You cannot orient yourself, let alone right. talk to others, let alone pull up to the 20,000 foot view and say, time out, AI can be really useful. And why aren't we legislating things? Why aren't our you know, political leaders learning about it? Why aren't we putting parameters around it? We haven't done that with genetic engineering, you know, the CRISPR right. technology. We don't have that yet. That's been around for a decade. We can't keep up. Right. And so ultimately, yeah, it's not about us at all. Like we, we, there are circles of people that pretend, you know, oh, this is going to help us and this is for us or we're going to make it, we're going to do great things with it. For people who are listening, I've been in technology for a long time. Uh, so that's where my day job is at. Um, so it's, a, it's an odd place to be to wake up and be like, AI is everywhere. I mean, I know there are others who have these feelings, but again, back to the cult-like stuff, they're afraid to talk about it. Right. Because then you're banished. Yeah. By by the way, I know writers in corporate real estate that are posting like, hey, been using chat GPT because they think it's going to ingratiate them with their owners somehow. And I think I mentioned to you and I popped off in public because I couldn't help it. This guy was like, I just feel like when I use it as a writer, I'm atrophying. I'm like, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Obviously, you know, we've atrophied. We don't know how to grow our own food. We don't know how to make our own medicine. COVID exposed so many things that we where we are weak as individuals in a species it revealed everything and we have lost infinitely more knowledge with these advancements quote unquote than we've been able to retain or gain in my opinion right so it's it's you know are we going to opt in to that and keep losing you know what makes us human and uh, our own ability you know our skills our evolution I mean, that's it. I mean, th- this is really what it boils down to, it seems, right? There are those who truly believe this is either inevitable or it's correct. It's the right way for us to evolve, to merge with machines and to, you know, that's how we're going to better ourselves. I care a lot about people knowing there are options with these things because we're in this environment where I, I know a lot of people who feel like it. they're buying into the belief that it's inevitable, right? AI is everywhere. AI is going to take your job, right? Again, this comes back to our beliefs, our, what we cho- we're choosing. Like, if, are we going to choose slavery? Are we going to choose to give up our humanity? Are we going to choose our connection with the divine, whatever that means to us? Um, and and that this is this is the battle, right? Like, there, there are, there's a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of a lot of different agendas, but you know, there's this overarching theme of, um, this is, this is the, how you're going to win. This is how you're going to get ahead. So you're gonna make money. This is how you're going to survive or you got to adapt, adapt or die. You know, you're, this is how you take market share. This is how you're going to be the last man standing in the game of musical chairs and yeah, the whole thing. And, um, I know that I've talked to you about what I saw on LinkedIn, my former colleague posting about, you know, chat GPT. And it struck me in that moment because I know why he's doing it. These are not private thoughts. This is performative. It's put on display for his overlords, you know, to gain some kind of sucker influence or please them in a way, ingratiate and fawn so they keep him around. And it really hit me that he's he's fighting fiercely for a prison cell. Yeah. It's insane. Because yeah. what do you win? What's I don't know that people ask themselves the the question. At the end of this game, if I win and everybody else loses, what's my prize? Right, right. You get right. to write with AI all day long? Yeah. And yeah. for how long? How long until it actually replaces you? Well, this is, I mean, it's so obvious to some of us, right? I've shared, I was in a meeting. It was my team, right? A larger group of people and there was somebody on the team who presented a checklist of things that we all had to go do. We all had to go do this checklist of things. Here, are the, here's this assignment basically, and someone's like, "Oh, where did like this this checklist? Like it, it's well written or whatever, right? Like again, it's ingratiating energy." And they're like, "Where did you know? How did you come up with this?" Was the basic question. And this young, you know, this younger, much younger than me person said, "Oh, I I didn't come up with this. I'm not that smart. I I copied it out of ChatGPT." How depressing. So there's this large group of of professionals with a lot of experience, right? The company pays us a lot of money to do our job. And not only, right, is this I copied and pasted it out of ChatGPT, but as I, I was, he was proud. He was proud of it. 
he's making the business case for his own eradication. Totally. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it, you know, at the same place, right, there was this large town hall and there, the whole theme of the town hall, right, it was a lot, I mean, it was a hundred X, everything's hundred X and uh, everything's a hundred X, hundred X, or how's we're going to achieve it? It's all about AI and highly, po- you know, polished um, videos promoting that. It was just, a, it was like a big honking commercial. And at the very end of it all, someone in the audience meekly is like, what about the hiring freeze, right? Because everywhere people are stressed, they're overworked. We don't have enough resources to do what we need to do. But, you know, the message is AI is going to, not only is AI going to help us do what we need to do, it's going to be 100x. We're going to deliver 100x of everything. And, you know, they're like, well, what about the hiring freeze? And he's like, hiring, like, didn't you just see? We just told you all the great things that AI is going to do. Why do we want to hire humans right now? It really is a religion. All these things, they're thought-terminating cliches. 100X is a thought-terminating cliche to get you to stop asking hard questions or thinking critically. Yeah, it's 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 remarkable what we're in right now. Part of it, too, is I think because I wrote them yeah. and I created them, right. I am in part the architect of you know, certain amounts of destruction in corporate America. When I see those things, I'm like, they're not even trying anymore. Part of me hates it because it's so ham-fisted because yeah. their confidence in their victory is so high. They're not even trying to be clever or, you know, channel a little bit of Don Draper with it. 100X right. is about as banal as it gets. <laughs> um, but it's that's all they need to do because it's a religion. Well, exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, what? here's where I'm at. Like, okay, just let it be what it is. But let, everybody needs to understand that, right? And that's what's missing. People don't understand... There's a belief system associated with AI. People think they're dealing with like, oh, this is just like, look what we've done as a human species. We've made this AI stuff. Now we all got to adapt. No, there's a deep, and this is the case across everything, right? I think a lot of people don't understand the deep esoteric and religious and spiritual beliefs that that are at the heart of science, at the heart of mathematics, at the heart of uh, all these things. And until and so it's like it's a it's a false dichotomy, right? Like it's Oh, it's you're either a, a kooky religious person or a woo-woo spiritual person, or you're this like grounded, fact-based, right, evidence-based science person. No, it's it's all belief. It's all it is one, you know, and thought prison maybe a, a darker way to put it, but it's one thought prison or another. Like, who among us is free? Like thinking freely as a human being. Well, there's a lot of stress on the system when you're a free thinker. You know, agency and free will are a real bitch. Mm-hmm. Take it from a pro. I am I happier? Oh yeah, because exactly. I'm a shaman and I attack my own beliefs all the time. Probably not. If there's an inverse correlation there, but I think it's worth it. That's a per, that's another choice. That's another belief, right? And it's this constant choose your own ending book. And one thing that struck me when you were talking as well is people are not aware of this. And if you try and Google it, you're not going to find it. Uh, I I had found it back in the day, but it involves Google as a company, which is sort of funny where they had a massive walkout of employees mm-hmm. or even it's several years ago, well before COVID, over AI. And they gave interviews. I mean, if someone really looks Brave Browser, DuckDuckGo, you should be able to find this. And they said it's like a religion and it's creepy and they're worshiping this thing and we don't like it. We don't like the direction it's going. And I was like, these are these are tech. Right. Yeah, these are not, you know, hippies and and crunchy crystal AP bitches this is these are silicon valley technology people software engineers that are like i'm not cool with this and where it's going and it was because it got culty we're at an inflection point where we're all humans for now or we until recently so you know is there a is there a a point of divergence where i believe so i mean i'm in conversations where people are like talking about us all like we all have to go one way or the other what can we do to get, you know, what can we do to help humanity go this way or go that way? I, I, you know, I'm of the opinion that it's very organic. It's been happening forever and people are choosing, people are choosing and some are going to choose many, you know, maybe the vast majority are going to choose to go down a path, right. Of merging with machine and all that goes along with that. And, and they will forfeit, they will be forfeiting things, but you know, it's back. It's back to informed consent. Do they know what they're forfeiting? Do they have any idea? In my experience, this is this is. I have many beliefs associated with this, but 
it boils down to experience, which for me is deeper than belief. We all have the ability to connect with ourselves from beyond the physical. Uh, we, we have the ability to experience our consciousness beyond the physical limitations. And so to me, the the promise of AI is it's a false prophet. It's it's like, oh, you can be part of the metaverse. You can live forever. You can upload to the cloud or whatever. It's a it's a really dumb version of what's actually available to everybody, but they don't know. As though you don't live forever now in a certain spiritual right. sense, right? It's uh, it's it's perfect in terms of a product because you're selling something to someone that they already have, but they think they have to buy. But it's I, this is a weird connection to make. But I but I've worked with people who are in abusive relationships, and they start talking about their life partner or their twin flame or how do I meet how do I meet so and so. And I'm like, well, the surest way to never meet them is to stay in your abusive relationship, right? The surest way to never know what you're capable of is to stay in your thought prison. The surest way to not know what, what's out there is to go down this AI path. But humans, right, we, we have that tendency to trade what we think is a sure thing, you know, for the ambiguity, for the mystery. This comes back to mysticism and living in the mystery of life. Yeah. It's funny, last night we watched um, the movie The Phantom Thread. It's Daniel Day-Lewis's last performance. And it's not, it's, it's a fantastic movie. It's not at all what you think. I was, it's a surprise that wasn't a cheap M. Night Shyamalan surprise. I remember watching it and being like, I have to immediately watch that again and again <laughs> and again. And you're watching it and it's not just the writing or the music, which is written by, you know, members of Radiohead. It's incredible. Or the acting or any, it's we were watching it and last night my husband and I looked at each other and said, AI can't fucking do right. this. It just can't because it doesn't have a soul. And I really think in terms of computers, the human biocomputer is a pretty amazing oh, yeah. design. I get very passionate about this, but we have no clue what we're capable of. And that's what, and this is yeah. what gets me, right? Like, again, if we want to talk about us as a species or the choices we make, we know for a fact that people have spontaneous recoveries from life-ending illness and disease, right? Like cancers just vanish. Like, and that's just a tiny drop in the ocean. Like there are just case after case after case of just unbelievable, remarkable things that humans are capable of, but they're all treated like weird outliers or or you just don't talk about it at all, right? Like people that get struck by lightning mm -hmm. and they can wake up speaking a language they've never heard. Like, oh, well, that's just a glitch, right? Like that's just an oddity. We have no idea what we're capable of. And imagine if all this energy, imagine if, if the human race said, oh, like, how about we focus on evolving ourselves? Like, we've got this amazing platform. Let's see what we can do with it. Like, that would be incredible. Well, it's like the plot of Captain Marvel. God help me. Instagram, now this. I mean, <laughs> it's not looking good for me. But um, it, it snuck up on me, that movie. And my husband and I went and watched it in New Orleans, mainly because it was an absolute windy, windy thunderstorm outside New Orleans. We went into this mall that had an indoor theater. We're like, whatever, we'll get a gin and tonic and watch Captain Marvel. Well, great, right? And we're watching it. And the whole plot is she is convinced that all of her powers come from this thing called the Supreme Intelligence, which is an obvious reference to AI. And she has an implant and all these things. And she relies on it. She thinks she's doing good. And spoiler alert, I mean, it's an old movie now. I'm allowed to say it. She learns that what she thought was the good guy team, she was on there, absolutely the bad guys, and that that supreme intelligence was inhibiting her power. She got nothing from it. It was limiting her. And what she's able to separate from it, she became like a living weapon. I mean, literally in comic book fashion, right? She looks like a fighter jet made out of fire and is blowing her way through spaceships. So that's kind of badass. She kicks Jude Law's ass yeah. in a really satisfying way. And... I just remember being like surprised by the movie. I'm like, oh, it's a pro-human message, really, because her power comes from the emotionality and her nature. Yeah, absolutely, I have I have two feelings about it. Like, and I totally agree with with that. And I remember, I think you'd recommended it. I'd watched it for that reason, and it is the exact story, right? Like, like stop limiting yourself to see what you, because you never know. You will never know until you try. You'll never know until you give yourself that chance. And, but the, the challenge I have with it is superhero movies send people, it's such a, I, who knows if there's any degree of intention behind it, right? But it just, it's so distracting. 
because people then look yeah. for the big flashy loud things and our real superpowers are quiet and they're stealthy that doesn't limit their power you know what i'm saying it's like what ted andrews said about people that are clairsentient and the challenge with that particular psychic ability is they'll tend to wait for the moment the lights come on but what if the lights have always been on right like if you're fish in water do you know do you know and if you're psychic right. do you know it's that subtle and with all of the external programming too it doesn't make it easier so roger what's your plan for the escapees and the remnants how do you want to work with them who who are these people yeah well more people are waking up asking questions and i think there's a lot of this going to happen organically I do work with people, you know, remotely, I'll, you know, I'll do, I mean, I can do energy work remotely and I do the coaching work. So as I shared kind of before we started the recording, rogeroni.com is going to be the best way to always find kind of the, the, the current, my weak spot is I've just, I've got so many ideas and so many things I'm trying to do. So it's always about focusing and bringing those into, you know, into a clear vision. So. And your primary focus is going to be on people coming up against this for lack of a better word, you said a divergence and there's a fork in the road, very Robert Frost. Well, I'm very passionate, right, about people knowing they have choices. And so, and again, that's, it's not for me to go force that upon people, but for anyone who wants to know what, what their choices are, I, I'm not the one giving them the choices, right? But it's, I'm, I'm passionate about helping people discover what their options are. There are always more options than we were aware of, right? You talk about a classic trauma response. A trauma response is, you know, all or nothing, fight or flight, this polarity, right? There's always stuff in the middle that we never see. We're literally blind to when we're in a trauma response. Yeah. And do you have any recommendations, like just something really small or simple that someone can start doing right now that's free, that's maybe not easy, but at least easy to execute on simple for people listening to this? Well, I believe strongly that our practices are what determines our future. So I think assessing your practices is a great place to start. Just do a quick list of what what do I do on a daily basis to support myself? One of the most powerful things people can do is to accept, is to be in a state of acceptance. And that sounds like giving up, but it's the opposite. And when I say acceptance, it's be honest with yourself, really honest with yourself about who you are, where you are, about what is happening around you. Because you're, how are you ever going to navigate or get anywhere if you're not honest about conditions? Yeah, you have to start with reality. It's really tough. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it is tough and it's not necessarily fun, but for anybody out there who's like, oh, I'm drained, I'm tired, I'm too beat down. I mean, the problem is we expend a tremendous amount of energy trying to control or influence what reality is. When you get into a place of acceptance, you're floating. You're literally floating because you're just, you're accepting. You're just seeing it for what it really is. If you, might, you may not like it. It may not line up with what you want it to be. But if you let go and accept it, there's no energy that you're, it doesn't take you to keep it afloat. What is, is. And otherwise, you're you're investing your energy into a lie, and that's very draining. Yeah, it is. And as you know, being the producer of the podcast, our sponsor, the Totem Tarot Deck, they have expectations of us, and I do not want to upset that woman at all. So why don't we go ahead? You don't mind if I pull a card, and it's it's for you, but it's also kind of for everyone listening for the conversation and let's go ahead and see what we get and again guys we use the totem tarot deck i'll link to it if you're a client you already know i beat this drum ad nauseum <laughs> this is fascinating it's exactly exactly what you were just talking about so it's the ten of trees which is burdens greater than you can carry and when the engines of creation get overworked to the point where they grind to a halt and you're forced to abandon your burden that's it's a powerful moment. I love that card when it shows up in a reading. And the reminder that like if you really look at it, all that you're putting in, what are you getting out? Right. Exactly. 
And you can only do that for so long. Eventually, you got to put some gasoline in the tank. You really do. All, well, every day. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's an everyday. That goes back to the practices. Absolutely. And to your looking for superheroes and the Big Bang kind of thing or a savior or any of that, I think people martyr themselves and they sacrifice and they suffer and they make a display of their suffering because they think someone's going to come save them. Like no one's coming to save us. Yeah. I mean, you know, the story I shared at the very start of the call about what I was going through, I tried everything. I mean, I, I, I did all the rounds, right? And, and it was a very, it was, it was, you know, you have that moment where you're like, oh, like there is no fix. And this goes back to the belief system. We live in this belief system. Like there's help out there, right? If I get into trouble, someone will help me. Yeah. If you, if you're, if you get a flat on the highway, someone might come help you with that. But when you're in a, a spiritual crisis, you're on your own. I mean, there are people like that you can work with if they're honest, but you do the work is always on us. We came into this world and we're, yeah. this is why we're here. And, and I'll tell you, the, I mean, just quickly to kind of wrap things up, I remember having this moment so clear as day it was a combination of what I'd been going through and working with and helping some other people. And I realized that our trauma is a, can be a profound teacher. And I'm like, who am I to rob somebody of their trauma? It's not my job, you know, ever. But when, when someone's ready, then yeah, then things start to shift. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank absolutely. you. Thanks everyone for listening. And reach out to Roger if you think you're going to benefit from his coaching work, his energy work, but also, by the way, podcast production. Um, I really think the only way to maintain some degree of freedom moving forward in this challenging uh, horizon line, we're in this event horizon yeah. we're in, is to provide for yourself as much as possible and work for yourself as much as possible, as hard as it is, right? In theme with our tarot card we pulled, maybe, maybe looking at that and exploring that, and who knows, maybe the the dumb shit in your your own mind that you say or you think it, it would be really profound to somebody Absolutely. else. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Rachel.